Ecclesiastes chapter 2. The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We'll read the chapter. We take as our text the last three verses of the chapter. Verses 24 through 26. We hear the inspired word of God. I said in mine heart, go to now. I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happened to them all. Then said I in my heart, As it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored, and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. 
For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity. Yet to a man that hath not labored therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. And then here follow the words of our text. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who else can hasten thereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, what kind of a life is worth living? That's the question that Solomon poses throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And as he takes up that question, what manner of a life is worth living, he establishes a sharp contrast between two different ways of living. On the one hand, there's the perspective of one who is a natural man, pleasure mad, living to enjoy life, eating, drinking in order to be merry. That one, not a child of God, takes no thought, no consideration of spiritual things. He's motivated selfishly by his own pleasure, his own desire. And so he tackles all of life's problems without God's word, without the revelation of God's word, and without the perspective of doing all to God's glory. He's doing everything for self. This man ultimately finds out that life is vain. There's no lasting joy. There's no happiness to be found in life. Everything in this life is futile. It's a waste of time. When Solomon stands in that perspective, he's overcome. He's overcome with depression and darkness. But then Solomon views all things from a different perspective, and that second is radically different. Solomon looks at life through the eyes of one who knows God and the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That one takes up his work. That one takes up the opportunities that are set before him. And life has an altogether different meaning, a different purpose, and a different significance. Life is about God. It's about glorifying God. It's about pursuing obedience to God and to his commandments. When Solomon stands in that experience, there's hope and there's joy. And he sees also that assurance with regard to the future. The theme that runs through the entire book is that life is vain apart from the knowledge of the fear of God. And that's the contrast that is very explicitly set forth here in chapter 2 as well as throughout the book. What is the value of your life here below? And what's the value of my life? What's the profit of all my work and all my living? I worked hard this past week. You worked hard this past week. You put in long hours. You accomplished much. What benefit is there to all that? What value is there to all of that work? There's absolutely no benefit apart from God and the wonder of his grace. 
And that helps us understand the most commonly known passage in the book. In chapter 12, verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep... That's the whole purpose. That's the whole duty of man. Out of thankfulness to God, live your life for him. We read in verse 26, For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. That's an, a remarkable statement. God giveth to the man that is good in his sight. That man is one of God's elect children. And God now gives that one blessings beyond measure. God bestows upon his children a life that is filled with joy, a life that involves happiness, a life that involves the pursuit of of obedience and godliness. Because life for the wicked is vanity of vanities, God calls us to look away from that vanity. Look away from the things of this life as ends in themselves and look to God and the wonder of his grace and the wonder of his glory. And by that wisdom that's from on high, and ultimately that wisdom is the knowledge of who God is, who I am, the reality of my sin the wonder of God's grace and God's goodness and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. That wisdom is that which gives us meaning and joy in our life. And so, beloved, we don't take the things of this life for granted. We don't take the wonder of what God has done for us for granted. Our life is not found merely in eating and drinking and working but our working and our eating and our drinking is to be used for God and for his glory. And so we look at this text, seemingly strange, in that Solomon seemingly is encouraging us to do as the wicked do. The wicked say, let us eat, drink, and be merry. And now Solomon is saying, that's what you ought to do. So how do we understand that interesting admonition in connection with the wisdom of God, which is from above? We look at eating and drinking from the hand of God, noting the vanity, the joy, and the conclusion of the matter. Verse 26, To the sinner he giveth travail, to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. What we have here, beloved, is Solomon in his old age looking back on his life. Solomon has lived a rich life. He's lived a life of success. He now looks back on his life and he does an overview of everything that's been his experience. Solomon looks back and he acknowledges the temple that he built, the orchards that he planted. He looks at all of the various things that he accomplished. And we read of that as we were proceeding throughout the beginning of the chapter about all his servants and his maidens and how he made pools of water and he put in orchards and all the fancy things that Solomon did. And Solomon now looks back on everything that he has and everything that he's done. And he asks himself this question, what good was it all? What use was everything? What use were all those possessions? What about the entertainment? He addresses that too. All the entertainment that he enjoyed. He had singers and musical instruments and he was great. He increased beyond everything before. What about all that? What benefit was there? He becomes very specific. He says, what good is it that a man labors his whole life long in all of these different areas? 
Now we know man's called to be busy in this life and we're called to take up the work that God gives us with thankfulness and with joy. The husband, the father is busy. He's working diligently in order that he can provide for the needs of his family as well as the responsibilities of the church and of the schools. He even takes joy in that activity rightly as verse 10 emphasizes and expressed. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, no, he speaks for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of my labor. He has a good attitude. He realizes that God is the one that's given me the energy that I have. He's the one that's given me my mind and my body. And also realizes the benefit that there is to that work for the sake of his family and for the sake of the church and for the sake of the causes of Christ. All this work gives a degree of accomplishment even. When we work hard, we look back and we see the things that we're doing. And that's good. That's proper. The Bible cautions us against laziness. It cautions us against sloth. And the book of Proverbs expresses again and again the fact that those who are lazy, those who do not take up their work, they're not going to have the satisfaction and the joy that otherwise there would be. But the labor is hard. That which is required of us is much. And often it's done through much sorrow, many tears, many difficulties. So on the one hand, we're called to live in this world. We're called to work diligently and faithfully in the callings in which God puts us. We're called to be faithful stewards of what God has done. God gives us gifts. We're to use them in his service. God puts us in this world and calls us to labor and to faithfulness. We realize too that we're not part of this world. We stand distinct from it. We're spiritually distinct, but yet we're in the world and we're using the gifts that God has given us here. But as Solomon did, we have a tendency to do the same, do we not? As we get older, we look back and we begin to pause. And as we look back over all our life, over all of our work, there's regrets. There's regrets as a father, regrets as a mother at times. There's regrets with regard to work and opportunities. Perhaps regret with regard to business decisions that we missed out on or that we could have taken up. But a bigger picture rises, and that is, of what good is it all? What was the profit of all that? Perhaps now I own hundreds of acres of land. Now I run a business with 20, 30, maybe 100 employees. Perhaps by now I've accomplished tremendous things so that my net worth now is in the millions. I look back and I see all that. But what really have I accomplished? That was Solomon's situation here. What really is the good of it? He faces now death. He can't take anything with him. And he's now going to die and it's all going to be left behind. Even more tragic, He's going to have to commit it to his children. Numbered among his children is Rehoboam. You children know about Rehoboam. Rehoboam was not a very wise man. Rehoboam was a foolish man. And he may have already known about Rehoboam and about Rehoboam not showing himself very wise. And now he looks at life and he realizes that all this wealth, all this honor, all this fame now gets passed on to someone like that. And how is this going to be helpful for him? How is this going to be for his good? As he tries to get meaning and significance to his life, he concludes everything is vanity from an outward perspective. Everything's fleeting. I can't take anything with me now. I'm going to die. 
the joy, the laughters, they don't have any significance anymore, any longer. I can look back and have fond memories of that kind of a thing, but they're gone. And now death is staring me in the face. And as death stares me in the face, and I realize my own sin, the shame of my sin, what's all this wealth? What's all this fame? What's all this honor going to do? How is it going to serve me? The guilt of sin demands death. It demands hell. How are these possessions going to assist me with regard to my escaping the judgment of the wrath of God? Nothing I do, nothing I did can take away that wrath. And as a result of what I did, I can see even my sins in starker contrast. And so that the guilt of sin now piles up. Salvation is not according to my works. I know that. You know that. Sometimes we can be tempted to think that our success can translate somehow to a benefit with regard to our salvation and eternal life. Nothing, nothing I did, nothing I've accomplished in any way can pay the price of the debt I owe before God. Salvation is nothing of my works. And so the natural man, working hard, finding all of these different inventions, working to make his life easier here on earth, blind to the glory of God, refusing to worship God, refusing to be thankful, goes to hell. Verse 26 expresses that, that the sinner then, he faces all of this, but as a result, ultimately, to the sinner, he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give to him that is good before God. God takes all those inventions, and what does God do now? God passes them on to others. And that's the beautiful thing here, that Solomon is seeing the fact that God takes all these things the wicked accomplished, and then God now passes them to his children so that God's children can enjoy them and use those inventions. But what good do those inventions and those accomplishments do for those who are worldly? Nothing. What did they accomplish by their fame and by their glory? They built roads. They were able to build products that were named after themselves. What benefit is there now to all of that which they accomplished? Nothing. None of those things can help them one bit after death. Now they suffer in hell. And all of that is of no use. What they did, God now takes and God uses them for the good of his church and for the glory of his name. But what about the fact that those things are passed on to their children who are sinful? It merely sets those children in slippery places and now they're drawn into temptation as well and they give themselves to the pursuit of the lusts and the pleasures of the world. But what a beautiful word we have here in this. God says, I used the labor of wicked men to profit you, my children, so that you who are the objects of my love and my mercy can benefit now from all of these things that have been invented and created, that you can use them now in the service of my glory. But again, we go back to Solomon. Solomon here making this assessment then, looking over his life, noting then the fact that there's so little value 
realizing everything is going to pass away and that he's going to leave it behind, says there's no enduring reward apart from God's grace. That's ultimately the confession here of Solomon. You can't make life worth living yourself. Life has no significance apart from God and apart from his glory. God performs a wonder. And God takes sinners who have cast themselves headlong to hell. And God now works in their hearts and in their lives a new life that's from above. And God makes it so that that life that was doomed to hell and destruction is now able to have meaning. God lifts the poor and he makes them rich. And the wealth that he provides is spiritual. He gives his own son. He gives the wonder of salvation and all the riches of that salvation so that one may not have much in terms of earthly possessions, but that one has that which causes true joy and true blessedness, Christ and the wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so our work is good. It's to be enjoyed. Solomon says, not as an end in itself. As an end in itself, it's all vanity. And so we need to view life in the right light. We need to stand in the context of the fear of Jehovah, the love of God in Jesus Christ. Living our life clinging to the cross and knowing the wonder of the forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in Him. Knowing that through Him alone we have the victory over pride, covetousness, greed, and the pursuit of earthly pleasures. Clinging to the cross and knowing that through Jesus Christ, And his perfect work alone, I have been broken from the bondage to that pride and that covetousness. And that apart from God, my life is empty. My life is selfish. It's not lived for the love of God and for the love of the neighbor. It's lived for self. I need the blessing of God upon the work of my hands. I need God's grace so that I can see the emptiness of life apart from God, and so that I can pursue then the things of God's kingdom and the things of his glory. This is a hard truth for us to grasp, especially hard for our young people and young adults to get their minds around. This world has so much to offer. How can it be that the possession of things does not bring joy? How is it that happiness is not found in having more things? The temptation is... To look ahead and say, if only I could have this, then I'll be happy, then I'll experience joy. If only I can move out of the house, and if only I can get away from my parents' rules and regulations, if only I can buy my own place, if only I can buy a farm or buy an acreage, then life will be good, then there will be joy. If only God would give me a husband or a wife, if only then I'd get children. We think along this line, if only... I could have my debt satisfied. And that would be my goal for this year maybe. If only I can get my debt satisfied this year, then I'll be free from debt. Then my life is going to be a whole lot better. And I'm going to be able to experience a lot more more joy. So that instead of living for the moment, we're living always for the future. We're living for something that we don't have. But if we get it, then life will be good. Then life will be more joyful and happier. Perhaps living for retirement. When I retire, then finally I can do the things that I didn't get a chance to do. Then finally I can spend the time with my wife and family that previously I neglected. So that 
We're looking ahead always. Now, we may have honorable goals, and some of those may be wonderful things that we commit to God in prayer. But the devil is trying to get us to believe a lie. And the lie is that those earthly things are going to make me happier. And if only I can get them, then my life will be good. So that happiness, joy, satisfaction, contentment are found in possessions. God comes to us through his word this afternoon and God says, that is vanity. It's vexation of spirit. Solomon tries to drive that point home powerfully here in verse 25. For who can eat or who else can hasten there to more than I? Solomon is saying this. He's saying, you think that all of those things will make you happy? Look at me. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. And that's what Solomon proceeds to do, as we noted through this chapter. Solomon had everything you want. Solomon had far more than anything you could imagine. You want money? Solomon had money. Silver was kicked around like stones in Jerusalem. You want a wife? Solomon had a thousand of them. You want children? Solomon had hundreds of children. You want fame? You want power? Solomon was the most esteemed man in the world. Even the Queen of Sheba and other dignitaries came to visit with him. You want a beautiful home? Solomon had a palace, a gorgeous mansion with manicured landscaped gardens. He had all kinds of fancy trees that were planted. You want things from other countries? Solomon had imported all the best of spices. He brought in peacocks because he wanted something that was extravagant from a different country. He wanted the best horses. Back in his day, the best horses were found in Egypt. So guess where Solomon got his horses? They came from Egypt. Solomon had the best of the best. He could have everything, anything that his heart desired. If Solomon wanted it, he got it. And now by the inspiration of the Spirit, Solomon says to you and he says to me, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. I had everything I could ever want. Did I find joy and happiness? No. Joy and happiness are not found in fame, not found in money, not found in power. It's found in obedience. Fear God and keep his commandments. And so Solomon drives that home in a striking way here in verse 24, setting forth the joy of the child of God. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. Now we read that verse and we think, boy, what is he trying to say here? And I have to confess, this verse also created questions for me. There are many places in the book of Proverbs where Solomon speaks exactly contrary to this. He condemns the attitude that a man takes pleasure in his eating and drinking. And he even accuses that to be the attitude of the wicked. That the wicked say, let's eat and drink. Let's make ourselves merry so that we can die. Throughout the Bible, we find that attitude. That's the attitude of the wicked. They act as though there's no end. They act as though there's no consequences for their behavior. And so they give themselves then to the pursuit of eating and drinking and making merry and enjoying all the pleasures of this world. Now Solomon says there's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. What does he mean? Beloved, the point of God is this. Joy and happiness 
are found and experienced every single day. In the circumstances of your normal, ordinary, mundane life. Okay, the wicked don't find joy and happiness in that. The wicked always want something else, something else. God is saying, joy and happiness are found in what I have given you and the life that you live in thankfulness to me in the circumstances and situations in which I've placed you. The wicked are always uneasy. They're always envious. They're always needing more, wanting something else. Happiness, they think, comes in the way of getting what they want. They're coveting. God's children know the wonder of God's grace. They're sinners who deserve everlasting damnation in hell. But God has rescued them by a wonder. And God has given them a life that's from above. And they're thankful. And they sit down then. They eat and drink around their table. And they experience in that simple meal gratitude to God for what wondrous things God has done. God has given me food and drink. God has given me this home. He's given me this table. He's given me these family members with whom I can gather. And God works a joy and a contentment in the hearts of his children that they find satisfaction in the ordinary things of life. God gives a wisdom that enables them to be thankful so that he works grace in their ability to see his hand in the relationships of life, but above all, in giving them himself as their heavenly father who's adopted them into his family. And so God works the grace by which his children are content in their day-to-day life. Now, there's all kinds of application to this. Let's just take an application to marriage. It's tempting sometimes to define our marriages by the big events in our lives. We define our marriage by our honeymoon or by our second honeymoon or maybe by another grand vacation that we hope to take in the future. And we can be tempted to think that, you know, while our marriage right now isn't going so good, it's going to improve if only I can get this fun vacation or if only we can accomplish this event. Then that's going to be a defining moment in our marriage. Solomon says no. The defining aspects of your marriage are every single day interacting with your spouse, experiencing mealtimes together, doing dishes together, putting the children to bed together. Joy and blessedness in your life is found in the ordinary, normal experiences of life. Now, should we spend time with our spouses in marriage? Of course. Is it wonderful at times to be able to get away for a vacation? Yes. But don't think that you can be gone from your wife, gone from your family, days on end, and then redeem things by all of a sudden now taking them on a vacation or doing something special. Your wife and your family need you home daily. They need you around the mealtime. Those daily interactions are the interactions by which you find your joy and your happiness and you enjoy the wonder of God's goodness and God's marvelous privileges that he's given you. So that Solomon here, by the inspiration, says there's nothing better for a man than that he eats and drinks and makes his soul enjoy the good of his labor daily in the circumstances of his ordinary life. 
These are the portions that you're to enjoy. Take the blessings of the day and be thankful for them. Show forth your gratitude to God. You don't know if you're going to get tomorrow. Why would you put your stock in a tomorrow? It may be that you don't have more than today. God has given me today to use for His glory, to show forth His pleasure. And therefore, I live this day now in thankfulness in His service. That's the best thing Solomon says. This is what I've learned through all of the experiences of life. That living every single day in thankfulness to God for what God has given, that's the joy. In other words, again, beloved, don't be looking constantly to the future or some future event where there's going to be joy or happiness. The fact that you have what you have now and that God has given you your daily meat and drink is reason for thanksgiving and joy. Now we can only do this when we're looking to him and acknowledging him as the one who is our heavenly father, as our God who daily provides our daily bread. It's so easy to take our daily life for granted. We take our job for granted. We take our relationships for granted. We take our spouse for granted. We take our children for granted, our parents for granted, our work, our income for granted. We don't pray for daily bread as we ought. We don't live in dependence on God like we should. We're not thankful like we ought be. And taking these relationships and taking these things for granted then, we speed through life and we do it without glorifying and honoring God. We're living for self. We're not content with our daily bread. We're not content to sit down with our families. We're constantly working harder and harder to get more and to accomplish more things. Why? What's the reason? What's it going to benefit us? God gives us pause and God says, what vanity, what foolishness. Quit worrying about tomorrow. Quit worrying about what lies ahead. Be thankful now for what God has given. And thanks be to God for breaking the bondage to selfishness, for giving unto us the wonder of deliverance in Jesus Christ, for working the wonder of the cross so that we know that the punishment of sin has been broken and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, to know that God has delivered me from that hell that I deserve and that my life now is to be lived in thankful service to him as my master and my Lord. We don't deserve anything we have. All that we have is a gift from God and so we live in thankfulness to God for what God has done. Verse 26 adds to that, for God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. Again, this is a marvelous verse because what's this setting forth? God gives to the man who's good in his sight the ability to have that joy and contentment. Now, who's the man that's good in God's sight? God's elect child. The one whom God has chosen from eternity and the one whom God has given to Christ. That's the one who's good in his sight. God has taken that one and he's brought him into fellowship with himself. God sent his own son to die on the cross for that one. And now that one is able to know, my sins are forgiven me. There is therefore now no condemnation. I will not face hell. The punishment of sin is gone. And there's joy. There's joy every day. There's joy in the sitting down and eating. There's joy in the morning. There's joy at night. That's the joy that God here speaks of. Beloved, do you know that joy? 
that happiness that God has worked by a wonder of his grace, giving to the man that's good in his sight, wisdom, knowledge, and joy. The wisdom that enables him now to apply God's word to the whole of his life. The knowledge by which he knows who God is, who he is, his relationship to God, his relationship to the world in which he lives. And that resulting then in an uncontainable joy. That God has taken me and he's brought me into a covenant of friendship with himself. He's taken me who was poor and he's raised me to levels that I can't even begin to fathom in order that I might now live with him to all eternity in the joy and the hope of life everlasting. Beloved, God gives us the grace to know joy is found not in things, it's not in possessions, it's in God. And it's in the wonder of Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice on my behalf. And God gives us the grace then to see that for me to live for the things of this life, that's foolishness, that's vanity. With Solomon I look back and I'm able to see that there's no lasting joy, there's no continued happiness in the pursuit of those earthly things. God gives us with Solomon to see that It's no use to worry, to toil night and day about all these earthly things. In the end, there's nothing I can do about it anyway. And in the end, God has ordained what he knows is best for me. I can try to set up all these rules and all these regulations, and again, God calls us to wisdom, to try to run my business after I die and to control the use of it after I'm gone. But I'm going to die. My children are going to take over or perhaps someone else. It may be that they're fools who drive everything into the ground, who destroy everything that I worked hard to accomplish. Everything that I've earned may create strife among my children. It may create untold problems now in that now my children become greedy and covetous and now they live for the things here below. I cast my cares upon the Lord. And this moves wise individuals at times too to consider including churches and schools instead of my wills. How best can that which God has given to me be continued in the use of his kingdom and for the glory and honor of his name so that my possessions, even after I pass, can yet be used for the glory of God. God gives wisdom so that we apply his word to our earthly lives, so we understand spiritual things. And as a result of that wisdom and that knowledge, there's joy. A joy in God and in God's goodness. What does God give to his children? Fellowship with God. This life and all that this life contains can't provide that wonder. But God gives us communion and fellowship with him. Fear God. And keep his commandments. Walk in his ways. Live the whole of your life. You're eating, you're drinking, no matter what you do, in his honor and with thankfulness to him. And the whole of your life then has significance. The whole of your life is a testimony to God's goodness, God's grace, and the power of his grace in working contentment and patience. Maybe I can't take a vacation this summer that I would desire. Maybe I can't buy the new car that I want. Perhaps there's other things that I'm not going to be able to accomplish. I go forward, not concerned that those things are going to rob me of joy and happiness. 
My joy and happiness is found in what God has done for me now and the wonder of His goodness and His grace to me today. And the fact that I can get up in the morning and I can pray, what a wonder that He receives me into His presence and doesn't cast me off. The fact that He opens His sanctuary to me. The fact that I can go to work. That's reason for thankfulness and gratitude. The fact that I can come home and I can eat my food and drink with my family and I can enjoy the good and the bounty of this world. Reason for praise, thanksgiving to God. God gives salvation, beloved, as an abiding treasure, which is all of grace, and gives this life meaning and significance. So that, beloved, having God in Jesus Christ, I have joy, I have happiness. And that's the conclusion that Solomon here then comes to. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. Verse 24. What's the key to a good life? Acknowledging God. Seeing God's hand. Acknowledging that God is the one who is to be thanked and praised. And again, if we quickly go through chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Solomon is concluding, the answer is not pleasure. He tried everything under the sun. He had the height of pleasure. The answer is not in fame and success. That's verses 12 through 17. He excelled most men in every area. He knew that, and that's not the answer. Hard work isn't the answer. That's verse 18 in itself. That isn't going to solve anything. Not even a good education, not a good pedigree. As important as that is, that's not going to be the answer. Not even having all my needs met. Solomon never had a day in which he was worried about what he would eat or drink. But there is a way that there is purpose and joy in life. And that is by a wonder of God's grace by which God directs us to see his hand and to be thankful. Lived in thankfulness to God. All that I am, I owe to him. His glory is to be the focus of the whole of my life. My life is not about getting, it's about serving It's about serving God. And again, as young people, as teenagers, so hard that is for us to grasp. My life is not about being served. It's about serving others. Love God and love the neighbor as yourself. That's the main point of God's commandments. And so, as fathers, how are we teaching our children this joy? Are we teaching our children to seek the things of this earth? Are we teaching them to find joy and to try to find joy in the possessions, the fame, the honor? Are we teaching them to be selfish? Or are we teaching them the importance of walking in the fear of Jehovah? The importance of acknowledging God's hand in the whole of their lives. Teaching them to serve others with the gifts and abilities that God has given to them. Teaching them that their life is about God using the means that God has given them to give generously for the causes of God's kingdom in order that those causes prosper and showing that by our own example and by our own generosity. God must give. That's what Solomon acknowledges and that's the praise and the thanksgiving. Note the first two times that the word give is used is in verse 26. And he uses it in two different ways. God giveth to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he giveth travail. Man is totally dependent upon God. 
And God, by a wonder of his grace, gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to his children. A gift of grace. But God also gives travail and curse to the wicked. God gives Christ. God must give. We are dependent upon him. And these are spiritual graces that we can't attain. We can't make our life worth living. But Jehovah God, by a wonder of his grace, gives. And he teaches us to give. He gives that which is the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And he works in us that spirit by which, as we walk in love, we give. This is the fruit of his eternal decree of election and the wonder of his grace in our lives. And the fruit of that wonder is joy, happiness, and obedience. To obey, to obey God is our delight. To serve after the things of his kingdom is our joy. To live in thankfulness to him with everything that we have. That's our prayer, and that's our desire. God works meaning in life in connection with obedience, which is the fruit of his grace in our lives. And God works that obedience through Christ and by the wonder of his spirit. This is a blessing of God's grace. This is something the wicked don't see, the wicked don't understand. But God in his goodness gives to the man that's good in his sight, his elect child of God, this precious gift. The blind fool, he won't see it. His God is his belly. He lives for the things here below. He's in bondage to greed and to covetousness. And he's going to show that in his attitude toward those around him and his attitude toward his possessions. His life isn't worth living. Pray for him that God will turn him, that God will give him to understand the wonder of God's grace. Don't be envious of that one. Don't be envious of their fame, their glory, the possessions they have, and their seeming good position on earth. The redeemed child of God turns his eye toward God and toward God's hand. And confesses, God is the one who has given me everything that I have. And I prayerfully look to him to supply my needs. And especially to give me thankfulness now. In order that I can truly confess that there's nothing better in my life than for me today to eat and drink. And to enjoy the blessings that he's given me day by day in his service. Maybe that he gives me steak. Maybe he gives me little. I may not feel well, but God gives me to understand that which is my greatest joy, Christ and the wonder of salvation in him. And beloved, when God prospers us then, we don't take it for granted. We don't boast in our accomplishments. We pray for the grace that it not cause us to become guilty of sin and to pursue the things of this world. But we take joy and we praise God and we seek to use it for his service, being a good steward of all that God has given us and seeking to support the causes of his kingdom liberally and generously, taking delight in our work at school, at home, thankful for the positions that God has given us, thankful for the opportunities God has provided, thankful for the individual gifts. And though others around us may have more, much more, I consider myself the wealthy one because I have Christ. 
And in him, I have that which is necessary to know true joy and happiness now and to all eternity. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for the wisdom and the knowledge and the joy that thou hast given in Jesus Christ. A wonder by which thou hast worked in us a right attitude with regard to the things of this world a wonder by which thou hast made our lives worth living as we pursue spiritual things and seek first the things of thy kingdom. Grant that we might live humbly in obedience and thankful praise. Amen.